is uh, praise God that in the beginning of time, He saw that it was not good for man to be alone. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Praise God that He decided to create the woman. You know what I mean? Are you guys with me? Let's just give it up for what God did this weekend at the women's retreat. It was a beautiful time. Yeah. Yeah. I know for those uh, that went, uh, it was a, a gorgeous time. And, and for those that didn't go, um, what we're attempting to do here in this community is to um, continue to pursue, uh, not just as guys, and, uh, but as women as well, believing that Proverbs chapter 31 is true, that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so, uh, welcome here tonight. I, I, need to, I need to tell you, I'm kind of, I just, I love this picture. Uh, I, love, I love team sports because, and, and I, I played football, and, and uh, Jason and I share this love of football. It's a beautiful sport, not just because you get to knock heads, you know what I mean, and once in a while you get to bleed and get to taste dirt in your mouth, but it's a beautiful, I don't eat dirt most often, but it's a beautiful sport. It's a beautiful sport because like all 11 of you have to be working together, right? It's like individual sports are cool, but to me team sports are way, there's just something more because you're doing it together. And friends, there's something so beautiful about this here tonight because we're journeying together. It's not just each of us individually in our rooms, although that journey is beautiful as well, but we have the privilege of joining together, all coming from very diverse days. I mean, if we were to, to, to write on the screen all of the days that all of us have experienced in all of the different areas and the schools and the jobs and the networks and all the people we've talked to, it would be insane. But for a brief moment in time today, we get to be here together. And that, my friends, is beautiful. And so, if tonight you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you to a journey, uh, to a communal journey, to a journey of truth, to a journey of love, with each of us desiring to learn more what it looks like to love God and to love people. So if you are here for the first time, let me say welcome to the journey. Last week, we wrestled WWE style with this with this huge idea of forgiveness. And we looked at a scripture in Matthew chapter 5 that says that if we are able to forgive others, then Jesus said, I will forgive you. And if you're not able, then I will not forgive you. Bring the severity of forgiveness at the forefront. And what we saw last week, and I want to bring this up again because I think it's valuable. What we saw last week is that, is that oftentimes we are forgiving based upon our relationships. If we're closer to one, then we'll forgive quicker. If we're farther away from another, we'll forgive slower. The problem is Scripture is clear about the process of forgiveness. It's rebuking. It's going to one another, speaking the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4. It's repenting and coming before one another and saying I'm sorry and turning from our sin and grabbing one another again arm in arm as believers and saying, you know what? We need forgiveness. If we as a church put each other on this pedestal and act as if we won't fail each other and that we don't need forgiveness and that we don't sin. And friends, we will live a complete life of disappointment. Are you with me? Now, this text tonight. Uh, God has just kind of taken me and grabbed me and like pulled me through this passage. And so, I'm really excited tonight because I feel like more, more, than, more than in a while that He's really taken me on this journey. And so open your Bibles if you have them to Luke chapter 17, verse 11. We're going to put the Scriptures on the screen for you tonight as well if you don't have them. 
uh, again, we're, we're coming out of this passage of forgiveness. And verse 11 tells us this in Luke chapter 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now the, the interesting thing to note here is between Samaria and Galilee means that he's in kind of a, a mixture land, a land where there's a lot of different kinds of pe- people, which will set up something that we're going to look at earlier. But, but friends, can we be drawn one more time to the, to the beginning of this verse? Now on his way to Jerusalem. And we keep talking about this. This is the third time in Luke that we've seen the focus now on his way to Jerusalem. He's headed there by God's plan to die. And I need to bring this up again. He, the person of Christ, needs to not just be our Savior, but He needs to be the example by which we live. Oftentimes we look at Christ as just the Savior and not as Lord. Just the Savior would be reaping all of the benefits that come from Christ forgiveness and eternity in heaven and this relationship of love. But when we forget about His Lordship, we forget that He's called us to live like Him. And so in this case, when we keep seeing Jesus on His way to Jerusalem to fulfill the great plan of God, we see that nothing is getting in His way. No fear of man, no fear of anything else, except a great fear of His Father who sent Him. I know you're determined. Especially when you're right, or when you think you're right. Come on now, you know what I'm saying? There was this time my wife's in the minis tonight so I can share this story. Please don't tell her I shared this with you. There was this one day, where I'm going to tell you, it was, it was the, the changing of the clocks, the time zone change. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And it was springtime. And I have learned this like little anecdote to help me, because it's a little bit confusing. You know, spring forward, right? Fall back. So my wife and I are sitting at dinner. And I'm like, all right, Heidi, uh, hey, tonight we get, to, we get to turn our clocks ahead an hour, right? And she's like, so we're going to gain an hour of sleep, right? And I was like, well... Not, no, no, not really, babe. Like, we're, we're, we're springing forward. Like, we're turning our clocks ahead an hour. And she's like, no, no, no. Like, we're gaining an hour of sleep. And the most ridiculous topic to argue about, I'm serious about this, we were laying in bed five hours later still arguing about whether or not, like, we were actually going to gain an hour of sleep. I mean, I remember going to bed that night, like, praying for forgiveness. Like, God, I want to, like, I don't know what to do right now. My wife is not getting it, you know? I mean, it's over something stupid. When we think we're right, we're so determined, aren't we? I mean, we'll, we'll go to bat. I mean, we will do whatever it takes, right? And when it comes to seeking the will of God and the pursuing it with all that we have, for some reason we lose something there. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I, I don't understand how we can get so excited and passionate over things that are so frivolous. Things that mean nothing. Things like a time change. But when it comes to God calling you and sending you and using you and saying, I will equip you and you need to fear not because I am your God, then I, I don't understand why we hesitate and why we stop. If He is really Savior and if He is really Lord, we look at Scriptures like this and we say, thank you Jesus for your example. And many of you guys are saying, yeah, but He's God. 
Like, remember, he's fully God and fully man. He's got a little advantage, you know? Yeah, and that's when he said, if, unless I go, I can't send my counselor, right? There's this whole concept about Christ living in us for those of us that are in Jesus. So if you're like looking at this and you're like, whoa, whoa, but he's God, yeah. But for those of you that have professed Christ, we have the Spirit of God which hovered over the waters in Genesis chapter 1, living inside of us, equipping us, allowing us to seek that same fate that Christ did, death for death. He's in between Samaria and Galilee. Next slide. Verse 12 says this, As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Um, to me, this is like, this is a complete movie picture here, right? Jesus is coming into this village, and these ten lepers on this other side meet him. Now, let, let's explain something about leprosy. Uh, leprosy, it's a deplorable disease. Uh, oftentimes, it would start in the eyes, and you begin to, to get these blotches on your eyes, and then it would work its way through your skin. It would bleach your hair white, and you would begin to get infected scales all over your body. Eventually, it would work its way into your bones. I mean, this was a nasty, deplorable, death disease. And the reason why these ten lepers are all together, like we see another time in Kings chapter 7, is that Leviticus chapter 13 says, if you have leprosy, like, get away from everybody. Even biblically. It was a biblical mandate to get away from everybody because this disease was, was contagious. If you had leprosy, no one wanted to be around you, right? And so you would go to the outskirts of the village and you would get away from people because you had this nasty looking disease. I mean, no one wants to look at you or see you or even talk to you. Now what's interesting is that, um, like the passage I always I already quoted, it's not good for man to be alone. Even the diseased need relationships, right? Like even these lepers, outcasted, living in a cave, need relationships. It also makes me think about something else. Last week we talked about causing other people to stumble. Let me tell you something. Disease attracts disease. We have within us at all times this warring principle of a sin nature we're all sinners in desperate need of the grace of God. And at the same time, for those of us that have professed Christ and that have faith through, uh, grace through faith, we have been given the Spirit of God. But there's this constant war. Let me tell you something. Disease attracts disease. And so it's interesting to me that how often in Christian circles even, right, this like disease part that's warring within us will attract other Christians and all of a sudden we feel better about the sin that we're engaged in, right? Because in a crowd, you just feel better about it. You're like giving each other like the sin high five, right? It's like no one just saw us. This was perfect, right? And, and, and if you're not a believer here, let me tell you something. You will be attracted simply by your nature to others that are diseased like you. Because you relate. You have things in common. So let me give you the great hope. Is that only through Christ and relationship to Jesus, can that disease be broken down? And we'll see that in the picture here. But I need you to understand this idea. Jesus on one side, walking into a village, and ten lepers. I almost picture them like lined up, like tombstone, you know? It's like they're getting ready for like a gunsling or something, you know what I mean? It's like they're all lined up. Imagine that. Just their nasty, grotesque skin. 
Right? Can, uh, can you guys picture that? Uh, next verse. Now, uh, they stood at a distance, all right? Because again, Leviticus 13, like don't get near anyone. So they're standing at a distance from Christ and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, the Greek word, oh, Greek word there is epistata, have pity on us. The Greek word for pity is better translated mercy. And so again, imagine this, Jesus standing on one side here, and all across from him are these ten lepers. The, the, the scripture here gives an indication that, that there was some unity here, that they were calling out together. Which is interesting to me, isn't it? That if ten lepers, who are on the outskirts of a culture, of a village, know enough about Jesus to come together and to say, Jesus Master, epistata, only used by Peter in Luke chapter 5 so far, have mercy on us. It tells me that the message of Jesus is spreading. And we've been seeing for the last few chapters the collision that Jesus has been having and the controversy that he's been creating. And so let me tell you this, it tells me this, that despite it all, the message of Christ is flowing through the land. Do you get that picture? The ten lepers who aren't even in the culture are hearing about this man named Jesus. And so they cry out, they call out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Next slide. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, in Leviticus chapter 14, right after Leviticus 13, where we see kind of the mandate for, uh, for what it was to be a leper, you would go show yourself to the priests when you were healed, because the priest would say, uh, yeah, no more nasty skin. You know what I mean? You're good to go. You can go back in culture now, right? Now, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals a leper first. And then he says, go show the priests. Here, he says, go show the priests. No healing yet has taken place. And the scripture says, and as they went, they were what? Hold on a second. Movie moment, all right? Cue like Mission Impossible 3 theme song, right? The ten of them in a line. Go and show the priests. They turn. And they, they begin to walk. And all, are you guys with me? And their skin. And the infection. And the pain. And all of that was them disappears. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine that turn, right? They make this turn. They have been living as cultural outcasts. Can you imagine what's going through their mind as their skin changes? I can go back to my family. I can have relationships again. I can live a seemingly normal life. I I'm no longer an outcast. That turn, my friends, was the physical healing of Christ saying, now go and show the priests to prove what I've done in your life, my friends. This is a healing miracle of Christ. And I started thinking about healing. I started thinking about all the healings that Jesus has done in the Scriptures. And friends, when you start talking about healing and thinking about healing, can we agree things get a little dicey, okay? All of us, for those of us who have ever seen Leap, uh, Leap of Faith, Steve Martin, have you seen it? Okay, yeah? 
baggage, 1-800-BAGGAGE, you know what I'm saying? We just we have this image when we start talking about healing. Now, it's interesting to know, and we're going to wrestle through this. The very first question after this moment, I was overwhelmed with, with Jesus keeps healing people. So I was curious. I was like, okay, so what about an axe? How many healings do we see? We see 12. We see four by Peter. We see six by Paul. We see one by Philip. And we see one by Ananias who healed Paul. Twelve. All through the book of Acts. We see maybe a couple more. Uh, uh, for the rest of the New Testament, but we, but we see healings. And so my question was, as I stepped back from this and I was thinking about this dicey uh, topic healing, right? My question was, do we have the same access that Peter did? Now let me explain. Peter, at the Passover, said, I don't know Jesus. Remember the servant girl? Like he was telling a 10-year-old girl, I don't know Jesus. Could there be anything more? You, you know, I don't know Christ. Fifty days in between Passover and Pentecost, a few days after that, we see Peter saying in Acts chapter 3, telling a crippled man, what? In the name of Jesus, what? Walk. In the, we see this guy go from, I don't know Jesus, to some 60 days later, in the name of Jesus, walk. Right? How many of you guys like feel like you have that access, you know? You know, I just said that this morning to my coworker. You know what I mean? It was amazing. This, you know, yeah. Healing is a dicey subject because it's created all of this baggage. And so, God took me on this journey. And uh, yesterday, I was talking with someone, and he was telling me he was, he was like, you know, the, my problem with healing is that I went to this faith healing church, and I wrote down a fake disease on a prayer card. Like just made up disease, mahubajubi, you know, right? Which actually may be real. I don't know. Doctor, is it? No. Okay. Um, and uh, and he said, sure enough, like halfway through the service, like the pastor, you know, stands up and says, "All right, um, man, I'm just really feeling somebody in here has got mahubajubi, you know. I'm just feeling it. It's a sense that I have. I think God has spoken, you know. Well, someone's passed him the prayer card, obviously." And, and no one answers. Like, no one's like standing up saying, I have Mahubiju because this guy wrote it, you know? And so, and so the guy says, like the pastor goes on to say, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, well, it's because of your lack of faith that you're not standing up to get your Mahubiju be healed. You know what I mean? Which that just sounds weird, but, but that's, that was the case. Now listen. Yesterday, friends, I'm wrestling with healing. And I'm like, you know, I'm just overwhelmed with healing. How, how do you teach this? How do you teach a body of people about healing? And I'm journaling in my journal yesterday, and Jason and I are at a church planning conference. And I'm just writing that prayer out literally in my journal. I'm like, God, I am scared. Like, how am I supposed to approach this scary topic, this baggage-filled topic of healing? And right after that, about half an hour later, the MC of the conference gets up. And he says... Uh, he says, if any of you in here just have, have a few moments, the guy who just spoke has a story about healing. And I'm, I'm just wondering if any of you need to hear that. And so like my pen, you know, my journal is like down on the, you know, spilling coffee. I don't even drink it, but it did, you know, just weird stuff. I was like, and so I go up to this man named Rodney Harrison. He, he was actually one of Jason's professors. And um, he wrote this book called A Spinoff Churches. And I go up to him, and he's a, a now a, 
a seminary professor at Midwestern in uh, Kansas City, and I go up to him and I was like, hey, uh, this seems crazy, but I'm actually teaching on healing tomorrow night. And I just was writing in my journal, I, I was like, how much time do you have? Because I want to hear like this story that, that the MC was just talking about. And he's like, well, how much time do you have? I'm like, how much time do you have, you know? You know, like, you know, bro, like, like I got my journal and my pen, let's do this, you know what I mean? And, um, and so we go out in the hallway, and we set up two chairs, right? And then he begins to tell me this story. He was uh, called about ten years ago to the country um, of Peru. And he was the last person that was put on the mission trip list, right? He wasn't supposed to go. He's a, he's a Midwestern professor, but also has his, has his RN degree, he's a, a nurse, and so it was a medical mission trip. And so they're going to Peru, which I don't, I'm not good at geography, but he said, and so I'll relay it because he said it, it's on the brink of the Amazon, okay, piranhas live there, bad, right? I mean, it's hot, the way he described it, it's like 95 at midnight and 3 in the morning, I mean, it's 95, it never leaves 95, you know, it's always hot. And so they get down there. And they're going to be ministering to this tribe called the Ashinika. Now the Ashinika don't wear any clothes. In fact, all that they wear is war paint. They're a warring tribe. But who they war with are the tribes that are neighboring them, and so they weren't necessarily in danger. And this one particular day, they've been there a couple days, and they come into the village. And this woman brings a baby to him. And this baby's entire left arm has had a flesh-eating disease. He said probably three months old. And so this baby has no flesh on her arm. Her bone is exposed and it's black, meaning it's dead. And this baby is, is breathing hard and irregular. And in Rodney's a mind that this baby was going to die. And, and he was trying to communicate. Obviously, he can't speak Ashaniquin, right? So he's trying to communicate like, look, I can't, like, I can't do anything here. You know, he's using hand motions. And the mother was just insistent, like, take this baby. Take this, take this baby, right? And so he began to cut away the flesh around her shoulder. Listen to this. She wasn't bleeding, okay? I mean, that's, there was no blood in her arm. But he's trying to dress up the wound and he takes a needle, listen to this, to see how much pain endurance this baby has. And he said, with babies, you prick them on this one spot on their foot. And it's like where, where a lot of the nerves kind of collect. And so you can tell a baby's tolerance to pain. He hits that spot on the baby's foot, and the baby doesn't even flinch. This baby had been in tremendous pain, so much so that that wouldn't even phase it. So it covers this arm up. With, with gauze and whatever you had there. And he leaves. And all the while, him and his friend were praying, you know, for God to do something. And they didn't even know what, but God, you know, will you, will you do something here? Three days later, they're like so anxious to leave. They're like, get us out. Uh, li listen to this. The guy went swimming for whatever reason in the Amazon. I said piranhas earlier. Like a couple days before that, his leg had literally been chewed on by piranhas. I mean, so it's 95. He said, when you sleep, you have leeches on them. He said, we could not wait for the plane to get us home. We were ready to get out of there. But it just so happened that the plane on the day that they were supposed to leave didn't arrive. Funny how things like that work, right? 
And so he has to go back into this village. And he's, he's on the entrance of the village. And this mom, of course, brings this little baby with an entire arm wrapped full of gauze. And excited to see this man just, just hands the baby over. And he begins to undress the wound. And he notices that the bone that was exposed is no longer exposed. And he notices that there is flesh surrounding this entire forearm. And flesh had begun to grow from the shoulder down. This, this ba- he, he pricked the skin and there was blood. In three days, God had healed this little baby girl. And I'm sitting there listening to the story. And I'm, I'm just like, I, I didn't even know what to say. And this story isn't even close to being over. He says, Mark, seven years later, he says, Mark, you got to hang with me. Seven years later, I'm teaching a class in Kansas City, Missouri. And a student of mine wants to go on a mission trip to Peru. And I'm already interested because he's going to be going to Peru. And I was just there, you know, seven years before. And so, and so I, I'm, we're talking and we're sharing it. And it ends up that this student is going to be working with a tribe that was 200 miles north of where he was. And so they were able to share and talk like this is unbelievable. And they were working out like what this student was going to do because he was going to miss six weeks of class. So he was just like, you know what, it's okay. Just come back and write a report and give it to me. We'll go from there. So the student, six weeks later, comes back and begins to share his report. Well, we got down to Peru, and um, the entire like northern country was flooded, interestingly. And so we had to move south. And, 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 and so we, had to, we ended up um, being able to hang out with this tribe, this weird tribe called the Ashanika. And Rodney is sitting back on his chair listening to this story. And the student, yeah, we, we hung out. And Rodney, just, just tears begin to well up as he begins to... And as he's sharing the report, he says, and um, crazy enough, there have been zero Christians in the Ashanika tribe, but we saw our first salvation. The first salvation was a seven-year-old girl who seven years earlier when she was a baby had had her entire arm healed by God. And it just so happened that the same girl was the chief's daughter. And so this little seven-year-old girl grabbed on to Christ and her parents grabbed on to Christ. And in a matter of three to four days, there were thousands of Ashaniqua Christians all raising their hands saying, Glory be to God. And, and Rodney is sitting listening to this story who seven years earlier was in the same village witnessing the same healing on the same girl who seven years later, listen to this, God did a much greater work when He grabbed her heart and healed not an arm, but the inside of her. And that salvation, 
led to not just hers, but to her parents and to thousands of Ashaniquan. And I stood back yesterday and I said, you know what? Healing is legit. Healing is happening. And my friends, God is alive. And I was like, so, I mean, I felt like, and I was sitting there, I wish you could have seen me, right? I mean, the guy was like, do you need like a tissue, right? I literally felt like I just heard the most incredible story of my life in this moment when I'm journeying through healing. Now, it still leaves the question, what does this mean for you and I? Sitting in St. Charles, Missouri, looking at a teaching where Jesus is healing, do we have the same access as Peter did to start saying to people in the name of Jesus walk? Well, what God showed me, friends, through the last 72 hours is it wasn't that I was asking the wrong question. It was that I was seeking the wrong answer. I was seeking a definitive yes or no answer. I was seeking an answer that was clear in the Scriptures. And let me tell you this, healing is dicey. Because scripturally, friends, it's in the hands of God. And when something is in the complete hands of God, like everything is, there are times when it's very difficult to explain. And I think what we're seeing culturally and what we saw scripturally, listen to this, is God using healings on the fringes of where He was taking the Gospel to unreached areas of the world. When Peter was healing, it was a new gospel in a new land. When Paul was healing, it was as the gospel was transforming Ephesus and Antioch. As the gospel was spreading to these unreached areas of the world, my friends, God was using healings as a way of authenticating the message. But listen to this, not the only way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 paints this beautiful picture of what you and I do have access to. Scripture says that we have access to the Spirit of God. Scripture says that the same Spirit is in each of us. But Scripture also says that we have different giftings. You see, I was looking for the wrong answer. The question isn't whether or not you and I have the same access of Peter. The question is whether or not God is going to use you and I to show His glory. Because healing... Biblically, listen to this, is always about the healer and never about the messenger. And that's where we're getting confused in America. That's where we see fake healing. That's where we see this, this faith healing movement that is bunk. It's when it becomes about the messenger that's not true. Biblically, always, Peter, Paul, Ananias, Philip, Christ. It was always about the healer, and not about the messenger. So does God still heal? Yes, He does. Based on His timing. Based on His sovereignty. Based on His hand. And yes, He may choose to use some of us. Listen to this. You want to talk about outskirts of where the Gospel is going? We have partnered with the Laopuan people of whom the Gospel has not reached yet. Wouldn't it be amazing if God chose to use some of us to be a witness to the physical healing of people, but my friends, so much more, the spiritual renewal of a lost land. 
It's one thing to watch an arm restored. It's another thing to see a seven-year-old girl come to Christ. Are you with me? And so what do we do? What do we do? Do we stop praying for healing? Nope. No. Do we stop praying for God to move? No, we don't do that either. We continue to seek God as God in His sovereign will and plan will choose to do His work and you and I sit back and say to God be the glory. Because it's hard, right? When we're praying for healing of someone with cancer and they die. Isn't it hard? And in those moments, our only refuge will be your plan. To God be the glory. Check this out. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a, what's that? A loud voice. I feel like I relate, you know? Yeah. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a, of the ten, we can assume because of this that nine were Jews. And one, a Samaritan half-breed, a Samaritan who the Jews saw as religiously inferior. He's the one who comes back. He's the one who, what's the word? Throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he recognizes that he is, what? Healed. You're like, so what about the other nine? Didn't they recognize they were healed? No, 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 no. Completely different. What they recognized was that they get their family back. What those nine recognized is they get relationships back. Is they're not outcasts anymore. Is they're not ostracized from community anymore. But the one, the Samaritan, what he realized is he was healed. And the only thing to do is to go to the healer. When you recognize you're healed, all you can do is go to the healer and nothing else matters. I, one of the, one of the greatest nights of my life was in FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, College Weekend of Champions. 120 of us packed in this eighth ring out in Cuba, Missouri. You guys know Cuba? I always thought that was strange, you know? It's like we're going to Cuba. That's kind of weird, right? Um, and so we go to this eighth frame out in the middle of the woods. A lot of my, a lot of my best friends are there. A lot of them not Christians. And in one night, I watched, listen to this, a lot of these guys are, are great, great friends of Jeff and I. I watched one by one these guys who I've been journeying with, football players at McHenry, one by one in this worship service come up and just give their life to Christ. Now, after the worship time was over, none of us knew what to do. We're like, we're like, we, like this can't stop. And so what we did, like all of us just improperly were just like, we need, we need to go outside. And so we go outside and we come under this pavilion, 120 of us, everyone. And we just start praying, thanking God. We do not care about what anyone thinks. And in that moment, nothing else matters except giving Him glory for what had just happened. I'm watching a friend of mine who's just accepted Christ pray for the first time for like five minutes. And like all he could say was, thank you God, right? And he wasn't ashamed to pray that for five minutes. I'll guarantee you. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, God. Some of you are ashamed just to, just to pray because you think it has to sound good. One guy who's truly thankful says, thank you, God, for five minutes. And I'll tell you what, friends, that prayer changed his life. Then from there, after like an hour and a half, we still didn't know what to do. Listen to this. This is when it gets crazy. So we all go inside. And I look at my CD player, right? And I was like, something needs to throw down right now. We, we start, we have an impromptu, listen to this, two and a half hour Christian dance party, right? I mean, it's getting crazy. We're, we're just overwhelmed within, you're like, do Christians dance? Is that appropriate? I mean, we weren't freaking. I'm not saying that at all. We, you know, we spent two and a half hours just praising God through dance. I wasn't praying, praying, playing like getting jiggy with it, you know? We were, we were playing worship songs and dancing like David danced. And let me tell you this, no one cared about anything else. It's like this guy. I mean, nothing could, could keep him from the feet of the healer. Don't you, don't you find it interesting, listen to this, that he goes from distance. He shouts out at a distance in a loud voice. Come on. Son, of God, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, He goes from distance and then through a healing on His face at the foot of Christ. That, what Christ can do, is the only one that can bridge that distance that's between every one of us. So what's holding you back? Why are you caring? Listen to this. Is it because you don't recognize that you're healed? Because I'll tell you this, it's easy to get distracted. Some of you don't recognize you're healed. You're like, thank you, God, for all the benefits. Thank you for eternity. That was awesome. It's going to be great. Thank you for church and community and my small group. And thank you for the food that that awesome lady at my small group prepares. And listen, all of those things are great, but can be a distraction for the feet of the healer. When you recognize you're healed, all you can do is crave the feet of the healer. Gratitude, thankfulness, just pouring out. God, give me more of you. Nothing else matters. Why is the church so hindered? It's like we're still in chains. That's why the world looks in and says, those Christians are a bunch of doldrum individuals. It's because we've forgotten that we're healed. reality is some of you tonight aren't. Some of you tonight aren't healed. Don't know Christ. Don't have a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you something. You're distanced. Right? There's separation. But by grace through faith, He, by His hand, erases that distance. And He allows you to sit at His feet. Next verse. Jesus asked, thankfully, a rhetorical question, because if I were the Samaritan at this point, I wouldn't want to be answering questions. We're not all ten cleansed? Yes. You can picture this, can't you? Jesus looking down at this man. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are they? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this what? Even Jesus calls Him a foreigner. Don't you love that? Even Jesus says, even according to my culture, 
You're considered a foreigner, but here you are showing that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. Not just for the Greeks, but for the ends of the earth. Jesus will bring the nations to himself by his choosing, my friends. And he breaks down every cultural, every racial, every age barrier, period, because of who he is. Where are the other? Where are the others? Didn't they recognize their healing? No, 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 they didn't, Jesus. They got confused. They got caught up in the fact that they had relationships again, that they forgot that the scales on their arms were gone. Next verse. Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you what? Well. Original Greek here is your faith has saved you. Whoa. Rise and go because your faith has saved you. Nine, get physical healing. One gets Jesus. Nine, see the scales come off their arms and off their eyelids and off their legs, but one gets Christ. And in my younger days, three months ago, at this point in the teaching, here's what the message would be. Alright everybody, so let's go be the one. Let's go be this guy. This guy is a good guy. He recognizes he's healed. He comes back to Christ. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Let's be that guy. As I've grown and matured, and as I watch females talk about the importance of community, the message tonight isn't for us to go and be that guy. The message tonight is for us to go and be those. Because many of us in here, by God's grace, have come to a relationship with Him already. And the call on this church is not to go and to be individuals that by ourselves are following Christ. The call is to not be the one. The call is to be those who as Christ's body are locked arm in arm saying, God, please bless us as a church. If you're a college student in here, that's why if I've ever had an intentional conversation with you, I've always told you, this can't just be a place to hang. You need to find a church. And if it's not here, that's fine. Help us, allow, help us pray for you to find a community. If you're a couple in here, a family in here, who are kind of in church hopping and looking around, let me tell you something. Find a body that you can lock arms with. And if it's not here, praise be to God, go and find a Bible-believing church, gospel-centered, missional community that's going after Christ. We need each other. Just like those ten diseased needed one another. The call tonight isn't to go and be the one. The call tonight is for us. Together, to recognize that we're healed. And when that happens across a church, no one cares anymore about anything except the healer himself. Worship would change. Our prayer journeys would change. Our small groups, the walls couldn't contain what would happen. No one would care. Give us Jesus, 
or give us nothing at all. And for those of you in here who aren't saved by grace through faith, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who aren't in community, let me tell you this. We want to journey with you. We want to wrestle with you. So come and find us and let's talk and share and allow us to continue to point you to the great healer. My friends, church, may we remember that we've been healed. Not physical scales, but a heart that's been reformed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'll wake us up. I pray, God, that you will open our eyes. I pray, God, that we will be consumed with you as Jesus, as Savior, as Lord, as Healer, God, I pray that this church will lock arms as a community and be the outcast to a world that is willing to come together and to fall at your feet where nothing else matters except what's right before us, you. God, may that happen. I'm praying for it in faith that it would happen in this church community. That we wouldn't be fearful of revival. That we wouldn't be scared of revolution. That we wouldn't be upset at your move. That we wouldn't be trying to contain you in brick and mortar. That we would say, God, will you move us? Will you shake us? Will you change our hearts, oh God? And if you don't do it, it won't happen. So we need you. Stand and respond.